Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to P4P Real Talk. I am just super stoked to be here with you guys. I just got back on the road 17 hours from Philadelphia, and now I'm able to do one of my most favorite things in the world. So you know what that means. This message is sponsored by Peak Muscles, the number one drug-free sponsorship in the world. If you are a drug-free athlete that are looking for a solid foundation to stand on as well as a vehicle to drive your goals, like what, Matt? Through a Mack truck through ice cream. <laughs> That's right, buddy. Check us out at peakmuscle.com. And now let's talk. I am Desiree Fletcher Carruthers and Kaylin Patterson. And together we are P4P Real Talk with Desiree and Kaylin. Kaylin Patterson, don't feel bad, my man. We had another guest appearance on our promo today. Yeah. But still, not the same without you. How are you doing? I'm alive and in person at Fit Body U once again. How's everybody doing out there? Still around fitness, enjoying it. So, yeah, yeah. I had my snickerdoodle and my old burrito. So you are ready to go. And it sounds a lot quieter this time. Where's the party at Fit Body U tonight? Oh, I stepped outside because they were so happy in there. And they just, I don't know, it's like the music is going and, you know, we got the disco ball up at the gym, so it's a little bit more excitement than most of the time. Now we have the strobe lights. So yeah, it's getting kind of crazy. Yeah, so it really is a party up there in Fit Body You. So, oh up my. In here. Up in here. Up in here? Up in here. Up in here. <laughs> oh, man. Awesome, awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you were able to step outside because, dude, we, you and I, as well as all of our listeners out there in listener land around the world, are not going to miss the story that our guest is going to share with us tonight. Um, It is another one of those fantastic transformation stories that, you know, if you ever at a point in your life where you just feel like you can't change the path that you're on, the path that you're on, everything is just so overwhelming and that it's just never going to get any better for you um, and that there just aren't any options for you, uh, you got to take a listen to this. And if you're not that person but you know somebody who's feeling like that, you're going to want to forward them this interview once it's over. And I just can't say enough about this young man. Kaylin and I met him at the Courtney Miles Rumble on the River um, earlier this month, and uh, just phenomenal. But before we get too far into the details of all of this, um, everyone, please welcome Matt Eastock. Uh, And Matt, go ahead and introduce yourself to all of our listeners. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Matt. I'm from Champaign, Illinois, and I am a pro uh, classic physique bodybuilder. Awesome, awesome. Now, Matt, real quick before we get into your story, you um, you're more than just a pro classic physique bodybuilder. Um, you are also a uh, 
Well, you're on vacation, but you're also a tattoo artist, and you're in Vegas right now making a special guest appearance and then taking a break (laughs) from all of that to share with us tonight. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your business and what it is that you're doing out there in Vegas? Well, I'm actually out here. um, I'm doing a guest spot at the world-famous Chrome Gypsy Tattoo Studio. It's owned by um, one of the famous ink masters, Clean Rock One. Um, so it's a this is a pretty big um, it's a pretty big opportunity for me to be able to be tattooing in a world famous shop. Um, it's taken a lot of hard work and a lot of you know progress through the years of being an artist and dedicating my life to the industry and my career. But um, yeah, I'm loving it out here. It's beautiful weather, absolutely beautiful weather. So. I'm glad I could take a break away and uh, be able to talk to everybody and, you know, let them know a little bit more about me and who I am and what I'm about and what I've uh, overcame to uh, be at this point in my life. Well, you know, I I, I think that's interesting about you being in Vegas because if I'm not – if I'm not – Forgetting, I think Dad was just out there recently as well. So I guess it's my turn to find out there and do something. Hopefully, uh, somebody's got a gym or something I can work out in, if nothing else. But you know, we met you at the at the Rumble in the River, and one of the things I was going to impressed with is, you know, for it being a, a first year show, is that basically pulled enough people together that knew what they were doing to make sure the competitors were well addressed. As a competitor, how important is that when you're walking into a, a, a first-time venue and hoping that you're going to be treated the way you were treated and then, you know, to get the, the treatment that you did? I mean, to be honest with you, um, Courtney put on one heck of a show. I've competed um, multiple times. I've competed three seasons now over the uh, past five years, and uh, I've been on – you know, a couple stages which that were very, um, they were ran, I wouldn't say poorly, but they just weren't ran as smoothly as um, some shows would have been ran. Um, but Courtney's show was absolutely, it was smooth. It was smooth running. It was a great first show for her, for, you know, to be honest. And uh, how I was treated, I was treated wonderfully. Um, which, um, you know, was, was a good experience. It was a great time, and it was a great show to end my, end my season this year. Yeah. Very and, and one cool. Of the other things, one, one of the other things that I like is that, you know, Des and I are definitely, we've definitely been talking about this over the years, and it's good to see more pro-am shows instead of just amateur shows because you, we see people winning and winning their pro cards and winning the overalls, but then it's like, well, what do they do after that? Because there just wasn't enough pro shows in the area to basically address the, the pros and, and especially the amount of pros that we have coming into the pro ranks. So it's nice to know that now you guys have somewhere to go when you step on stage again as pro athletes and you don't have to go too far and spend too much where it makes it impossible to compete, whether this year, next year, or the year after. And I'm sure that's something that you factor in, you know, as you, like you said, if you're from Champaign, you have, you know, actual pro-am shows in your region where you can actually step on stage and still represent the Midwest 
wink, wink, and, you know, your families <laughs> that wish to support them. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and now, I mean, it's still, it's still a little bit surreal that I actually proed and I'm, you know, I call myself a pro athlete now. Um, but, um, you know, just the, the target, you know, um, and my crosshairs were on, um, a certain target this year. Um, and that was to pro, uh, I proed in a division that I didn't see me proing in. And I, you know, when I did the crossover, because uh, Courtney had, had asked me to do it, to maybe make it a pro qualifier, you know, I was like, well, is it just going to be, I'm going to be a number. And I just didn't want to be a number. I've done that for a couple, you know, promoters, and, you know, it was a waste of my time pretty much. Uh, and I've, I've done a lot of traveling in my career so far. And uh, one was a pretty big, dif- you know, distance away. But, you know, the, the closer to me and the higher quality of shows, the, the smooth running format of the show is, uh, is a big thing to me. And I know multiple other competitors that like a smooth running show as well. No doubt, no doubt. And um, we'll definitely want to talk more about, um, you know, your experience as a competitor in classic physique and in bodybuilding. But what our listeners are really, really, really sitting on pins and needles here to hear mm-hmm. is, so you've been competing now for about people. five years, as you said, but uh, <laughs> but the, the story, your journey on how you got to this point, it really is a fantastic one because not only were you in classic physique and bodybuilding, but you were also a transformation category contestant, which is a category which at the moment is pretty unique to the NGA where individuals tell their story, their transformation, and it might be a health and wellness story, or there might be other factors that they overcame to get up on that stage. And you were one of those contestants. So why don't you take us back to you know, kind of the starting point of your transformation story and, uh, and walk us through. And uh, every once in a while, you know, come up for breath because I know our listeners will have questions <laughs> and we're going to want to get those in there too. But uh, go ahead, Matt, and just because you weren't always well, at the stage of life you are now. No, uh, no, I wasn't. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, Desiree, um, I didn't really, it didn't really set in until um, after the show. And, you know, when mm-hmm. I was in Davenport on, the, on July 7th, that that was actually my seventh, my seven year sobriety anniversary date. So oh, well, that, show meant, that, that show meant, you know, quite a bit to me. Um, you know, the more and more I got to think about it on those lines, but um, no, um, you know, all you know, my life growing up as a child. You know, I I lost my father um, when I was 12, but you know, before that, I was I was very athletic. You know, kid. I was I was I was a I ran before I even knew how to walk. Um, I was just always a ball of energy, and um, I started. Um, you know, after my dad passed away when I was 12, life just, you know, it took a pretty big plummet. And uh, I started to use drugs and alcohol pretty heavily at a young age, which I was 12, 13 years old. 
Um, you know, and I, it just progressed and it progressed and it got a, a lot worse. Um, as you know, the years went on, I started using heavier drugs. I started experiencing more with a little bit more things in that realm. Um, then I, you know, got into the tattooing industry and it made a lot of things easily accessible for me. And, uh, I could get my hands on pretty much anything I wanted at that time. And wow. um just it just kept it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um and then Now Matt, now I'm going to I'm actually going to jump in here real quick because when I want our listeners to get the full scope of what you're talking about here. So when you were saying that things became easily accessible to you, um I'm going to go ahead and fill in that it was it was drugs or, you know, narcotics or whatever it might be but what why were they easily accessible to you or what was it about that environment and industry that just kind of fed your addiction at that point in time oh well you know i mean the tattooing industry is is kind of like a rock star atmosphere um you know you you meet a lot of different people um you know i've I've had my fair share of partying with, you know, famous rock stars and musicians and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, it's just, you know, you can, you can get your hands on anything you want at a certain time. All you have to do is trade work for it to get it. You don't have to spend money mm-hmm. on it. And it, it, it just comes to you, you know. And sometimes, you know, people ask you if you want, you know, this or that for this, you know. So it's like a service for service kind of thing, um, which is very big in this industry. But more or less, it's the rock star life. I mean, it's full of partying. It's full of chaos, Um you know, there's a lot more to the industry than what a lot of people know of fun and just putting art on people and being able to have the luxury like I'm doing right now is, you know, tattooing all over the country, you know. Um, you know, that is taking a lot of time. But, um, you know, at that point in my life, it, like I said, I, you know, I was a drug addict and I was an alcoholic, and that's that's what I like to do other than, you know, do my art and and excel as much as I could. All right, all right. So you're at the point now where you've become um, a full-blown addict and largely I think it started out, if I remember your story correctly, it was to deal with the pain of losing your father. Um, and and you were pretty good at hiding it because I, if I yeah. remember correctly, you know, even those who were closest to you, didn't even under, understand the degree to which you were hurting or what you were doing to cope. So you've lived well, it several wasn't, years. It wasn't just now. that. It, it wasn't just that, Desiree. It was, it was, uh, you know, using using drugs and alcohol as a, you know, it was basically like a numbing agent. Um, yeah. I used it. I used it as a crutch. I used it as something that it would re- erase. It would erase just a little bit or numb that just a little bit to take that pain away. So you did, you know, you know, you didn't hurt near as bad. But you know, when when I got to using so heavily, I never knew who I was hurting on the outside of me, because when you're an addict and you're, an, you know, an alcoholic, you you think of yourself. You're so self-absorbed. And focused on yourself because you, you know, you've got to go to work. You've got to do this. You've got to do that to make your money to get your fix. 
So a lot of your addicts are highly functionable, you know, and that's when you know that you've got a certain problem, but the guilt starts to set in when you don't have those drugs. You don't know who you're actually hurting on the outside of it. You know, I crushed my mom, you know, multiple yeah. times from addiction. And uh, I crushed many of other, you know, family members' hearts and treated them in a way that I never, ever thought that I would want to treat my family members because I was, I was high. And, yeah. um, you know, it, and that's like I want to, you know, tell people, and when it comes down to being an addict, no matter what, you know, what your, your, your drug of choice is, um, it, it gets worse over time before it gets any better. And you've just got to be willing to, you know, take that and move, um, move forward into it and be the stronger person. But sometimes that's not the case because of the feeling, you know, you like the feeling of how it feels, what it feels like, you know, what it, you know, how your, how your brain just, you know, it don't think of certain things and, you know, you don't, you don't remember you you don't want to remember certain situations that's happened and that's why you have a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics out there is because of the numbness it's it's a it's a self medication tool yes um there there's certain things that go into that and i can touch on it because of my my days of uh loving alcohol more than i love myself and that's when you try to hide and this is something my family had told me, and it really hurt later when they really broke through to me. And it was the point of, yeah, you were hiding away, but you weren't there for those life and family moments. And those are the things we don't think about when we're doing that hiding, is that we're not interacting with the people that love us most. And so we're basically stealing our lives from them in a way we never even think of because we're so protective of what we're hiding. And I love the way you you worded that, and it's beautiful that you could say it in that way where, you know, we have our listeners basically hearing with their hearts. I think that's the biggest thing is a lot of times people hear with their ears, but they don't feel with their hearts, and and you're breaking through with that, and I appreciate it. So if you could uh, let, let, let us know about those family moments that you missed that really, like you said, were hurting your mother because, you know, you simply weren't there. Yeah, um, you know, my mom's been been just the most fantastic person that I could ever, ever, you know, begin to fathom to, you know, talk about and praise. Yeah, we saw that. We saw that. You know, I mean, that, she is, um, she's my rock. She's She's been there to pick me up when I fell down. You know, she's there to support me in anything and everything that I do. And as me being an entrepreneur and owning four businesses and, you know, you know, she's always right there and she's never given up on me. Um, What hurt me the most is when I got arrested the last time when I was starting to deal drugs and I was 18 years old, my my mom looked at me when I was in the jail cell. I had to wait for my tax money to come in to bail myself out of jail because she told me that I was going to sit there until I had the money to get out. Well, uh-huh. when my mom told me that and she looked at me straight in the face and she said, Matt, if this happens again, I'm writing you off. And oh my. at that time, when you're an addict and it, it pops your eyes open, because you know that the way she worded it and the look in her eye, 
you knew that enough was enough. And from that moment on, when I got out of that jail cell behind them bars and got out, I did not sell one more bit of anything. I didn't, I, you know, yes, I used as, you know, recreational use and I was still an addict, but I did not put myself in that position of jeopardizing my life as, you know, a civilian, you know, of being, you know, pretty much locked away for life for what I was doing. Um, you know, and, and the hurt and how it, you know, how it just rips your heart out when your mom's sitting there crying to you because, you know, she, she's trying everything to raise, you know, both of her children in the way that, you know, any parent wants to raise their child. Nobody wants to raise their child to, to be, you know, a heathen or a, a troublemaker, a drug addict or anything like that. They want their children to be successful. They want them to focus on life and look at the brighter things instead of self-destruction and, you know, things like that. So a parent is always, and I do it with my son, my, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. I know how it feels, you know, and you want your children to be the best. And my mom was playing a role as my father and my mother, which that's very hard mm -hmm. to do because a, a mom can't be a dad. You know, a mom's a mom. But, you know, with the passing of my father and, you know, her best friend, you know, and, you know, I sat on my dad's lap till the day he passed away. And, you know, it hurt. But I didn't focus on that because I was too self-consumed on myself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, wow. you know, it hurts, it, it hurts to think that where, where would I be, you know, yeah. if I was to turn, you know, turn the hands back, where would I be now? Do I regret the decisions that I've made in my life to put me in the, in the spot that I'm standing in right now? Absolutely not. I had to live the way I lived and my mom had to turn me loose to make me realize what I really have. Um, and I've, I've had a lot of ups and downs, you know, more, more downs than I did ups. But I kept pushing through and I wanted to make a difference. Um, but, you know, to go in to why we're sitting on this phone and talking and I, and now that I've kind of really, you know, I have the feeling of opening up to everybody that's listening to me across the world. Not literally. You know, I, um, if you guys think you're not worthy about something and, and, and you're not meant to be, you got another thing coming. Mm, you know, I, that. I, everything that I've lived through and one major part of my life you know, it, it was, um, you know, I was, um, I was 21 years old, you know, I was in, I was in the industry, you know, I, I, I loved tattooing. I was tattooing every single day. Um, I started an apprenticeship with the, with a tattoo shop and I started, you know, I started to have really bad migraines. I started to have headaches, um, 
and I, you know, I was, I was fearing, you know, I was, I was always worried. I, I was tattooing, my feet kept going numb and, uh, you know, I would go out to the bars and I drink or, you know, do drugs and yeah. it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I finally, uh, you know, one day I was like, you know what, I got to get, I, I'm just going to go get in the bathtub. Maybe it was a bodybuilding injury because I had a powerlifting injury when I was in high school. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought maybe, you know, my nerve in my back was pinched just from being bent over and tattooing. Yeah. And um, I went home and I got in the bathtub just thinking that maybe I could take a, you know, a hot soak and everything would be okay and I'd get out and everything would be fine. Well, yeah. about a half hour went by, I couldn't get out of the bathtub. I was uh, paralyzed from my, my waist down. Um, oh, you know, I was, I was laying in the bathtub crying, wondering how I was going to get out. Um, and something told me just, you know, Matt, you know, brain, tell, tell this to do this and let's get out of this bathtub. Well, I forced myself to get out of that bathtub. And I remember crying, crawling, you know, on the floor, down the hallway to the bedroom to get to my phone. Um, and as I was crying, I was talking to my mom and telling my mom that, Hey, I need you to come to the house. I need you to take me to the emergency room. Cause I can't feel my legs. Wow. Um, and mind okay, you, so, so I, go ahead. I was just going to say, so go ahead and finish your thought, but then I want to jump in cause we have some questions that we need to get to before we get to okay. the next phase of your story. And um, and so, but I think they're all going to flow nicely. So go ahead and finish your thought, and then we'll bring it back around. Um, I don't even know where I was at, to be honest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, inter- <laughs> I interrupted you. I'm sorry about that. But okay. Okay. We'll get back to it, though. I know we're going to get back to it, though. Maybe I'm turning into a California raisin. I don't know. But, uh, no, um, yeah. But, no, um, yeah, it's hotter than blazing out here, let me tell you. It's like I'm sitting in the oven. But, um, no, um, but no, it's, um, you know, my life, like I said, you know, it, it, at that point, that's when, that's when things really started to um, decline. Okay, so I'm going to take us back just a couple of steps here to when you were talking about getting arrested for dealing. I wasn't even aware of that part of your story, but Sherry, Sherry is looking for a little clarification because she's asking what made you go back to drugs once you got out. But I think the point of what you were saying is you had, when you got out of jail, you stopped selling, but you never stopped using at that point in your mind. I don't even know if you had even considered stop. You were just going to be like, well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take this extra risk, but I'm not giving up my drugs. Right, right. Um, yeah, I didn't. You know, I mean, I. I like to get high. I like the feeling. I like how it made me feel. I like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have. I didn't have a worry. I didn't have a care. Um, you know, it it pretty much put that coating over the hurt. And, uh, you know, the, the depression, the anxiety, you know, I mean, when you lose a parent, you know, at such a young age, 
you know, it, it does something to you. And, and I know that there's people out there that are listening right now that have lost, you know, they're a, a family member, um, a parent, you know, or an, uh, you know, an adopt, uh, adopted, you know, somebody that, you know, has adopted them as a foster parent and, you know, stuff like that. They, you know, there, there's so much different levels of hurt and people cope with hurt in totally different ways than others. Amen to that. Some people cope with it of, you know, going out all night and drinking booze. Some people go out all night doing, you know, doing a heavier drug or, you know, I've got, I've got friends of mine that are hooked on heroin that you try, that you try to help. But you cannot help someone unless they do not have the strength inside of their self and the willpower to change their self. You can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make them drink it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wasn't ready. I was not go. ready. There was, there there was something go. in me that I was not ready. You know, I, 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 di- I didn't hit my point of no return. I didn't hit my rock bottom. I wasn't there. I was out of jail. I was free again. I was like, woohoo, here we go. We can do it again. Let's see. Live life yeah. on the edge. I'm a rebel. You know, there, there's, there's a lot to it. You know, my mom told me when she looked at me in that jail cell and said, if you sell this again, I am done with you. She didn't say if you quit using you know, that, those words didn't come out of her mouth, but I wasn't mm-hmm. ready. I was a tattooist. I was young. I, you know, I got in this industry at a very young age. You know, and uh, when you grow up around this industry, it's very fast-paced. It's a party. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, especially especially when I was, you know, coming into the industry, you know, at, you know, 14, 15 years old. You know, as a body piercer and, you know, body modification artist before I was a tattooist. You know, so yeah. I got to see the life in in a lot of different ways and growing up very fast without my father, I had to be the man I felt like. You know what I mean? I had to be yeah. the man of the house. I had mm-hmm. to protect my mom. I had to protect my brother. I had to protect my family. You know, I did, you know, things where you know, of, you know, protection of, you know, carrying pistols and stuff like that, trying to, you know, keep everyone safe around me. Um, so, yeah, like, to sum it up, and I was not ready at that point in my life to stop using drugs. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, well, you know, I, I, when my when my dad had passed, you know, I was an adult, but it was still really hard. And the one thing, like he was saying, is that you, you do have responsibility. Anybody that has self-worth is going to try to do some mature things ahead of their time and, and responsibility ahead of their time. And like he said, I didn't feel I was ready. And, I, I you know, I, I was an alcohol at that time, and I was hiding it. And I was doing a lot of things that were really destructive, but you don't see them as destructive because, like he was saying, it's a coping mechanism, and 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 you're you're Absolutely. not hurting, what you feel like you're not hurting people, 
You're not cussing people out. You're not doing destructive things to anyone, damaging property. You know, I'm not the lawbreaker. You didn't come up with all these excuses. But I wasn't being the man that my dad raised either. And and, and there's going to be some hard truths that come out that you have to realize. And there's going to be some days that, you know, you don't like the person that you see in the mirror, but you just don't know how to change it. There's a lot that goes on. And I know a lot of people that haven't been in there, you know, let's say they they did have the Ivy and Harriet uh, upbringing and, and God bless them for it. But you can't sit and fault people for basically trying to get through life, getting through life. Because the one thing that wasn't happening was destructive things to others, and that's that's the respect that I have for Matt that he didn't take it out on anybody else. He basically was uh, destroying himself, which is a good thing, which isn't a good thing. But you know, at least he had that to say. You know, I'm not out here to hurt people. I'm still doing my job. I'm still being a, a person that can interact with other people without trying to destroy them or their lives. That 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 if, if you haven't been through it, you don't understand it. But you, I, I just respect how you're going about doing it, and I'm glad you've done that. And 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 basically, you know, it's like if there's a brighter side to it, see that. And I, I thank you for t- for choosing the route that you did. That. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. I find yeah, that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. I I I'm I'm gonna noodle that perspective here a little bit longer, but in the same. Uh, in the same in the same vein though i'm going to noodle it i'm going to i'm going to noodle i'm going to reserve comment on that while i finish processing that i cuz i get it but yet part of me says while yes that that i guess of how that part of his life went that was probably a, a brighter spot in that stage of his life but it was also like an oh, no, I, okay. and it enabled him to continue Oh, to continue what he was doing because, you know, he wasn't a menace to society. He was just a menace to himself, per se. But anyway, I'm exactly. I'm, I'm not going to get lost on that. I'm not going to get lost on that. No, you won't. You um, just because Dale's question, <laughs> I'm going to noodle it. Dale's question actually um, is going to catch us up to where you left off and I think take us to the rest of the story because he was asking what were some of the fallouts and setbacks that came from that kind of drug use? So, you were talking about getting arrested, and so there was that because that was related to dealing, but that was probably spurred by your your level of drug use at that point. But then where you left off is your health took a major dive. It took a major dive, and now you're crawling across your I, I, you know hallway floor naked trying to get anybody to come save you, and then your mom comes, takes you to the hospital, and... And this is where we're led up. So you were arrested. You have major health problems. I mean, failure of organs and body parts. So that's some yeah, of the wow. fallout. But so you're at the hospital. You're, you're getting checked out by the doctor. So what's going on? I mean, what happens here? Well, this is when things um, started to get probably one of the scariest points in my life. I went into the hospital with uh, paralysis um, from my waist down, um, and I literally had no feeling. I went into the hospital, and uh, mind you, like I was uh, reiterating on is the headaches. I had migraines that felt like I was getting cranked in the head with a baseball bat every two minutes. Um, 
you know, they hurt so bad that I was crying from the pain. I just wanted them to stop. I wanted it all to go away. Um, you know, I'm laying in the hospital bed um, in the emergency room, and uh, they come in and they said, Matt, it, it's just migraines. You just, you have migraines, take some medication, and just, and you would just, you know, see how it goes and see how everything is in the morning. Well, I, I woke up the next morning and uh, I felt even worse. I, I couldn't hardly walk. I couldn't get out of the bed. Um, I asked my mom to take me back to the emergency room. So we went back to the emergency room that following morning. And uh, the doctors come in and uh, the headaches were still um, escalating with pain, uh, getting worse and worse. The paralysis um, was starting to even get worse. Um, the, the numbness was starting to spread. And uh, they did a spinal tap on me, which I was scared to death. You know, you hear of horror stories and everything like that when it comes down to putting uh, spinal injections in. and. They uh, drained some spinal fluid out of my uh, spine, and they found that there was 45% more protein in the spinal fluid, which uh, it threw up red flags um, as spinal meningitis and a couple other things. Um, I had stroke-like symptoms as well. Um, uh, at that point, the doctors still didn't know what was going on. They, they kept saying that the migraines were just, you know, there was just, you know, maybe, you know, my my brain was swelling to putting uh, pressure on the nerves, and that's why I was getting, you know, paralysis. Well, at that point, you know, I I had to I, I went back home, and uh, I had to do a primary care um, and see my primary doctor the next morning. Well, I went and seen them the, the next morning. And uh, I go walking into the appointment, and there was four or five uh, student doctors from the U of I there in Champaign, the University of Illinois, you know, with notepads and all kinds of, you know, stuff and taking notes and pretty much asking me all kinds of series of questions and just trying to figure something out because, you know, this was rare. Um, and I, I was scared. You know, I mean, I, I was literally scared. You know, when you go from being so active um, and uh, getting ready to, you know, sign with the UFC and start fighting in the cage, and, um, you know, you had, you know, modeling contracts that you were getting ready to sign with some of the biggest clothing companies in the world. And, you know, when all that's taken away, you feel shattered and defeated. And I and I just I did, I didn't know what was going on, um, so they admitted me to the hospital um, for the migraines to figure out to do some pain management with the migraines and try to figure something out um, and just try. They put me in um, and they put me on a morphine drip. I was on a morphine drip every six minutes, and uh, when I was on that drip, you know it was. It took away the pain um, to where, you know, I was already numb from the paralysis. Um, well, it just started progressing and getting worse and worse. Um, 
about the second day in, I was laying there, I was going to sleep, um, and uh, I woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning gasping for air. And uh, at that point, it started crawling up into my diaphragm, and my lungs were collapsing. And uh, the the muscle in my lungs just could not, you know, it couldn't open up to where I couldn't hardly breathe. And uh, I looked I looked over at my mom gasping for air, and that's right when my mom started to pray. You know, the whole time I was in a hospital, you know, my mom had the whole prayer team at the church, um, you know, saying a prayer for me. And, you know, and it just, I mean, my mom just never gave up on me. She stayed right next to me, you know, the whole time, you know, didn't know what was going to happen. Well, about, you know, Three about the next morning, I woke up and the uh, it went back down to where my lungs. I was finally I was functioning and breathing on my own, so therefore I didn't have to get put on a ventilator, um, which some people you know do um, when in that in that case. And uh, I looked over at my mom and I said, "Mom, I said, what's wrong with my face?" And I remember looking at him and he said, Matt, your your face your face is drooping. And I said, What does that mean? Well I started to get I, I developed Bell's palsy in my face, which half of my face was paralyzed. I had to wear an eye patch and put eye drops in my eye to keep my eye moisturized. And uh you know, it just it just started getting scarier and scarier. Well, I don't know, like, like I said on stage, it was it was like a guardian angel came in that room. The neurologist come in and said, Matt, I'm taking you down to my office, and we are going to run a nerve, con- a nerve conduction test on you. And we're going to, um, it was a connection, you know, like a nerve connection um, test. And uh, I go down there, mind you, I'm on the morphine drip, couldn't feel a thing if you hit me. And uh, I went down, and he plugged me up to this machine, and he hit he hit my um, all my reflex points, and um, that's when he found out that I had Guillain-Barré. Guillain-Barré is an autoimmune disease that it uh, it's your um, your good antibodies in your body don't fight a virus. And the virus starts attacking your nervous system, and it shuts your nervous system down. So, therefore, it damages the mylar sheath of the nerve. Um, so, when, you're, hey, when your brain tells you, yes. Hold on, buddy. Um, we, we, we lost some of the listeners. Uh, you, you shared something that we all know, we, me, you, me, and Desiree, but they are unfamiliar with. When you said that you shared this on stage, they're trying to figure out what exactly you meant. Um, so could you do some clarification for our listeners so we can get, uh, get everybody back on the same page? Oh yeah. When I was in, uh, Davenport doing the transformation, when I was, you know, telling my story on, on the, uh, stage, um, you know, to do my testimony on stage. That's what I was meaning by that. Um, is that what you're in regards to? Yes. Thank you very much. 
Um, but, you know, um, be, before – I want to step back before that. The, the, the major part was being so active that um, <laughs> the, the, the activity that I was doing, you know, before I got, you know, sick – I was, you know, I was punching a heavy bag. I was very athletic. I was getting ready to sign with the UFC, like I, you know, like I mentioned, you know, so I wanted to walk. I wanted to be able to do things on my own, knowing that I couldn't, knowing that it was so hard for me and that it was demolishing me and tearing me down and breaking me down so hard because I couldn't walk. You know, well, the doctors didn't want me to. You know, they, Matt, we want you to rest. And I was like, no, I want to walk. Well, what really got me is when I was walking down, I had my cane pole with the, uh, you know, with all your medicines and IV pole and all that good jazz. I'm walking down the hallway, and I could feel myself fatiguing. I could feel my legs giving out, but I just kept going. And I was crying and bawling my eyes out because I wanted to walk so bad. Well, I look behind me, and the nurse is pushing a wheelchair behind me just in case I fell, just in, case, you know, in case I gave up and I, and I collapsed. Well, I did. About 150 feet, you know, you know walking, I, I finally, I, I buckled where I couldn't feel my legs. I, you know, I, there, I couldn't feel them anyways. But I just made myself keep going because I wasn't going to let something stop me. Well, it stopped me. It stopped me for two and a half months while I was laying in that hospital bed fighting for my life. Mm. While my mom, was, my mom was laying right there on an air mattress. Every single day, every single night, she was right wow. there. Um, and it started, you know, it just it got worse before it got better. They started me on aminoglobulin, um, and that was actually good antibodies. The good antibodies I had to take for it was it was two times a day for a week, um, and that was it was two hours a day, two times a day. And they pumped me full of those good antibodies, and those antibodies started to basically um, revert, you know the um, you know and kind of reverse the you know the disease um to where i was starting to get feeling back but you know with that being said i had to go to rehab i had to learn how to walk again i had to learn how to talk again because i had a speech impediment you know because of the the um bell's palsy in my face um i had to teach myself how to tattoo again i had my mom you know go to the tattoo shop well, and I tell you what, my boss at that time, you know, he always thought I was playing around. He thought it was a joke. He didn't think that I was taking my job seriously, you know, because I was a party animal. I liked to party. So he didn't really think that I was taking my job seriously. But when he came and saw me on my deathbed, when I could hardly talk because of the Bell's palsy, he started crying looking at me because he felt so bad and so guilty because he didn't believe me. Well, I had mom go to the tattoo shop and grab that tattoo machine and a number two pencil. And I sat in that bed and I taught myself my motor skills of hand-eye coordination again. 
I taught myself how to draw from square one. I knew that if I had the weight of that tattoo machine, that I'd be able to tattoo again. Not, you know, them, the neurologists, the doctors, the nurses, they said, Matt, I don't know when this is going to happen. I don't know, you know, how soon you're going to be able to walk again. When someone tells me, Matt, you can't do it. <laughs> well, that's funny because I'm going to show you that I can. You're never going to tell me that I can't do something. Can't's not used in my house. That word is not used. Um, and uh, so I had my mom bring my guitar to me. I played guitar for all the nurses and the, you know the neurologists. I don't know understand how you're doing it. You have no you have no reflexes. You, your hand eye coordination should not be working. Well, I wowed him. Well, I started getting better. You know, it, I was in my wheelchair. I, I finally, I started, you know, holding on to the dresser, you know, of trying to keep myself up and keep my balance. Um, I fell one day when I was in the bathroom. I tried to do everything on my, uh, you know, all by myself because I wanted to be independent again. And I fell. I, I hurt myself, you know, because of the stability around. I didn't have the muscle around the nerve and the bone, um, because it was all gone. I, you know, at that point of my life, I lost 95% of my nerve and 90% of my muscle. So therefore wow. regaining that back is, um, is, is a very, very, um, crazy thing to see, um, and go through. It, it's, it, it's very destructing. Um, you get very discouraged the depression, you know, and I, I suffer from and battle from depression every single day, you know, before that anyway. And, you know, when you go from, like I said, being so active to taking everything, you know, these people take a lot of things for granted anymore around, you know, and you, everyone around the world, you guys, you know, there's people out there that don't really think about what they really have until it's gone, until your motor skills are gone to where you can't do things for yourself as an independent being. You have to rely on somebody to help you wash. You have to, you know, help you, help you get up and help you walk and help you get in a car. You know, and when you're bound to a wheelchair after that, it, it tears you apart because of how much hurt it, it, there is. But I didn't let it stop me. I never let it once stop me. I well, kept and that's, and I'm actually going. Gonna jump in right there because that's a question that a lot of listeners have. And then I'm also going to put a plug that we got about 10 minutes left. So we'll have to figure out how the rest of the story is going to go. But with everything that you went through, we're feeling leading up all into this point now, um, you know, a lot of folks are thinking like, geez, you know, you had every reason or what would seem to be a reason to be suicidal but you didn't go that route. What kept you from not taking? Well, after that, I got up, um, you know, because of not being able to be, you know, functional um, and not having the stability or the strength, um, getting very, you know, fatigued very quickly because of not having the muscle to support me. Um, and you know, just quite frankly, just not even having the, I didn't, I didn't have the go in me. 
I, I didn't. I just lost 95% of my nerves and, you know, 90% of my muscle, you know. And uh, I got up to my heaviest point at 225 pounds, and that wasn't pretty. I'm only 5'7". Um, I started using, you know, um, alcohol again to where I was drinking upwards of a fifth a day. I was snorting about six to eight grams of speed a day. I was so discouraged and so disappointed in myself because of the things that I couldn't do. I, you know, when it came down to it seven years ago, on July 7th, 2012, um, after my son was born, I made the decision to throw everything away. My boy saved my life. My boy is my superhero, and he's the reason why I do everything that I do today. And I'm sorry for you guys if I start to get a little bit emotional, but he's the reason why I chose a different path in my life. My son deserved me to be there. My son needed me to be there. I lost my dad at a young age, and I sure in the hell wasn't going to take my, you know, take that right away from my son. And, you know, when when I got to thinking about the self-destruction that I was doing upon myself, it makes you really think back to looking at that little child, you know, and seeing that come into the world was just a major wow. You know, and watching him grow and watch him develop into something that it is now and where my life took the biggest turn from when I was drinking, you know, a fifth in alcohol a day, doing drugs, to smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, killing myself. That boy came into this world and changed it all. I started bodybuilding. I started getting back into, you know, lifting and eating healthy and eating whole foods to where I started developing my own recipes. I started to... um, you know, slowly, as of, you know, 2019, I'll jump forward. I will be releasing a, a cookbook, so all of you be stay tuned for that as well. But I hey. I started doing this, and, you know, I, um, I basically – Basically, I I was not doing it to get on stage. I got on stage. A buddy of mine, he watched me do this transformation, and he was absolutely just astounded. He said, Matt, let me prep you for an NPC stage. I I was like, no, 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 don't want to do it. You know, and uh, I did it, and I fell in love with the sport. And, uh, you know, I just kept going and going and going to where, you know, I just – I wanted to do more shows. I wanted to develop even more. And when you go and you, you see when your body is so stripped of nutrition, stripped of the muscles, stripped of the, of the nerve, and, and, and stripped of all energy, to where you, you, know, you can slowly watch that redevelop and come back. My brain is developed in a different way. Because it stopped when I was, you know, when I started using drugs, that's when my brain stopped developing. You know, and after that is when now I'm reliving my childhood through my son. And I thank him every single day. I thank my mother every single day that I finally got it. 
I finally hit rock bottom to where, you know, I knew if I wasn't going to stop doing this and, and I was going to lose being a father to my son. I wasn't going to be able to see my son, you know, and that hurt me the most. And that's why I started to bodybuild because it channeled me. It gave me somewhere else to use my addiction and focus on a healthy addiction than to self-destruct myself. And it saved me. So I owe everything, you know, that I have right now at this standpoint in my life to not only my mother, but my son that is my hero and my biggest fan. Wow. And you just wrap that in a bow and bundle it up so nicely there. And we've got about four minutes left, but I have to ask this question. I really have to ask this question before we finish. You were already predisposed to taking drugs and granted you quit, but when you poured into bodybuilding and and your first introduction was to NPC, what made you decide be a natural bodybuilding competitor. I mean, all of the well, all of all of the all of the dominoes were in place for you to choose a different path, to choose it to choose differently than what you did. I mean, and I know I don't want to rush I, you, but I'm gonna have to rush you so quickly. How you know? How did you wind up in the NGA? Well, to be honest with you, to be, to, um, I I I'm a person of uh, competitiveness. I, I love to compete. I love, you know, to step on stage to know that I did not use drugs. I didn't, I didn't spend thousands of dollars to build myself in a, you know, an aesthetic way as something to be fake. I'm not a fake person. I'm the realest person that most people ever meet. Um, while I picked the NGA is because when I got on that stage at John Abraham's stage in uh, the heart of America, my first, my first NGA show directly right after my, uh, my MPC show in Ottawa, um, I fell in love with the competitors. I fell in love with the, the family bond of the bodybuilding industry in the NGA. I fell in love with getting on stage and knowing that the guy next to me just worked a little bit harder, and that's why he beat me out gave me motivation to keep going and keep working harder to keep growing and developing and you know and just focusing on to be a pro competitor and it took me 3 years you know it, it took me you know it took me 3 shows over the past 5 years to finally make that happen and that there means more to me than using drugs and following back into an addictive addictive personality into something that's yeah. negative because people don't Good look point. at it like that. People want to be bigger and better. They don't want to take the time to develop as a natural to see what the body can really do as the mind and the strength and the willpower determination to succeed in something. That's why oh. Matt Estock picked the NGA. Well, and I'm so glad that Matt Estock did. I think there is no better note to end this show on. Thank you so much, Matt, for sharing everything that you did today, for being so transparent and real and just, you know, blowing that last question out of the park. It was, it's definitely be real talk. And we just want to thank you again for taking time out of your vacation and your 
guest tattooing stint you've got going on in Vegas to just share. So with with that being said, Kaylin gave your snickerdoodle shout out, dude, wishing you all the best in the future. And we'll be keeping an eye on you. Let us know about your cookbook and all, and your clothing line. We didn't even get to talk about that. Well, I tell you what, if anybody, if anybody out there, I'm, I'm hopefully fingers crossed. I got everything in place. I will be at the Wisconsin Dell show, the P for P, um, you know, championship. So I, I hope I'll be there and I should have my clothing booth there. So, um, if I am there, which I hope to be, please come and say hello. For real. So with that being said, Matt Estock, check him out. He's going to be at P4P Undefeated in Wisconsin Dells, August 11th. Kaylin's going to be there. I'm going to be there. The boys at P4P Muscle are obviously going to be there. It's their show. So on behalf of all of us in that group, your body is a temple. Let's build it. Build it with Snickerdoodle. You got it.